So, Ethan, how's Chicago? It is pretty good. This is two weeks to the day from the move. Uh, so, settling in, get to know my neighborhood. So far, so good. Yeah, how did your move go? Was it without incident, given everything that's going on with quarantine, or did you hit some problems at all or anything? I think probably it... Yeah, it really couldn't have gone much more smoothly. I moved myself, which was maybe a bad decision, but I kind of enjoyed it. I definitely had like a like a character building experience on the day that I loaded everything up. I was like, "Wow, look at me moving myself, being so frugal." Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, that that took like well, I had been packing for weeks before, just like incrementally, and then the day before I left, I spent four hours packing up the truck and then the next day i spent like four hours in the morning packing the truck um and at the end of that then i was like pretty tired but to that point i was still feeling pretty good and things barely fit i had packed the truck so tight i had the smallest u-haul that you can get for out of state which is like the smallest one that isn't a van um but i got pretty much everything i needed except my tv uh and left that in storage and then drove up and then had to unload later in the day and that is where i was sick of it i was a bit surprised i was like feeling so good the rest of the time and it is less work to unload than to load but at that point i was just tired of it and also then you have to go up the stairs not down which i hadn't mm-hmm. considered and so the really heavy stuff got to me at that point um, how, fo- how many floors so, are you i mean it went okay i'm on the second floor okay it's not too but, bad then you know yeah it's not so bad it's, and it's not a terribly tight stairwell or anything it could have been a lot worse it wasn't as bad as moving into my last place Mm. yeah no moving is the absolute worst i don't know i don't feel that way to be honest yeah oh maybe i just have too much crap i don't know but i cannot stand moving or even helping other people move i do it because i like (laughs) to be a good friend but (laughs) it's uh you're asking a lot of me to come help you move i think so um my girlfriend helped me move and her roommate came and helped as well when I first got here. So the three of us managed to do everything in probably, oh, we got everything out of the truck in under an hour and a half for sure. Maybe under an hour. Like it was pretty fast. And then the next day I went to a storage unit where I had dropped some things off and my girlfriend and I got the rest out of that, which took another like two hours maybe. But all said and done, like, yeah, it really didn't take that long. And then I find the arranging so fun so fun like i've just had such a great time the last two weeks such a new start you put everything exactly where you want it i now have a podcasting desk which is in a different room from my office and it's kind of nice that's where i'm hanging right now it's the only carpeted room in the apartment i have the setup just as i like it Yeah, yeah no it's it's been really good so far oh yeah i mean arranging a new space a new apartment when you move is awesome it's great it's just the effort to get there is just terrible but no, I yeah. totally get what you're saying. Like I Yeah, driving a U-Haul, uh driving a U-Haul through the streets of Chicago is wild. At one <laughs> point I got off the highway too early cuz Google Maps told me a supposedly shorter way. And like obviously driving on the highway with a U-Haul is a little stressful, but driving on the surface streets of Chicago and making the turns Oh, man, that was such a bad decision. So stressful. And then my landlord called me and just wanted to chat. He was like, oh, what time will you be getting here? Oh, I set this up. And I was like, I got to go. I'm driving a U-Haul. <laughs> I have no extra brain capacity. Yeah, no, that is, uh, that sounds really stressful. Yeah, good life experience. Like I said, character building. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you got there safely and without any issues. It's pretty, pretty great. 
how is your new neighborhood? Um, I don't know if you're like how much exploring you get to do given the situation. Yeah, pretty. It's actually quite a lot because I have nothing much to do except walk around. So by the time I left Cincinnati, I had explored every nook and cranny of my neighborhood. I had like seen every street, which was fun. It was like kind of cool making sure to see every street. I occasionally would discover a new one. I'd be like, wow, I thought I saw everything, but you do run out. Um, but yeah, it, it is so fun to like have new areas to explore. I've walked probably at least two miles in every direction at this point. Um, yeah, it's been pretty neat. And I, you know, it's also kind of in a new and bigger city. You want to figure out like which areas are okay to hang out in. And so I've tried to go for runs during the day and scope them out and be like, do I feel comfortable hanging out here? Um, and yeah, actually everything's been pretty good. So that's been really nice. Um, one thing that is going to force me to walk more is something I didn't imagine when I moved here, which is that my garage is so much smaller than it looked. Like, you see a garage, and you're like, oh, you know, a car goes in there. It doesn't seem that <laughs> remarkable. But the structure of Chicago, and I think some other big cities are like this, certainly I think New York is, um, is that a lot of the housing areas have alleys through the back that separate one row of houses from the one behind it. And then if you have a garage it would be accessible from the alley seems all very reasonable um but the my garage is extremely small in the first place but much more problematic is that the alley is so narrow that you can't make a full 90 degree turn Mm. and so pulling into the garage is just totally impossible and i realized the only way in is to back up and this is all exacerbated by the fact that there's garbage cans in the alley which are directly are across from where i would pull in so i can't make again the alley gets even narrower and like a garbage can is like a quarter of the width of the alley so it's just totally insane and i'm rapidly learning how to do this but it is terrifying because my neighbor's car is in the garage right next to me um don't want to don't want to uh annoy my neighbors that way if possible (laughs) so so some new stress in my life i must say and it's really encouraging me not to drive any more than necessary it really helps to have a passenger in the car to drop them off and have them help me get in (laughs) i was gonna say i wouldn't expect that you'd be driving a whole lot i'm actually surprised that you have a garage that's that's probably a big perk yeah i went out of my way for that and i ended up living in uh actually i think i like it just as much but what is in terms of like general price probably a cheaper neighborhood in order to get a place that has a garage um and no i think it'll be good for the winter because i will probably drive back to my parents place to see them a couple times a year and not having a car would make that much more difficult and then driving to like notre dame because i'm only two hours from notre dame here to see college friends will be easier so i did want to have a car and in chicago i think a garage would be much more much nicer in the winter than street parking certainly certainly yeah but so far so good um the biggest downside for sure is that i now live in an absurd time zone and i think hopefully all (laughs) listeners know my feelings on time zones that almost all are absurd except for greenwich mean time but this one is particularly bad in that i keep having to do translations with other people and explain to them that i live in a fake time zone and yes i am (laughs) able to do the conversion to east coast time for them but then yesterday i had this weird thing happen at work where I got a meeting invite and it said 11 a.m. And it was it was uh, 10 a.m. here. And I was like, I can't wait. This meeting is coming up in five minutes. It was an interesting one. I was like, a five minute, this meeting is like five minutes away. And then, no, it was actually at 11 central because Outlook had updated the time zones for me. I was like, everybody stop messing with the time zones. I will figure it out. Just send me everything in East Coast time and I'll do the math. I don't want <laughs> you to like mysteriously update the time zones without telling me. 
Uh, it's yeah. I I did briefly consider. I've mentioned this to a couple people. I truly briefly considered trying to live my life on East Coast time and changing all my devices to stay on East Coast time. And before realizing that was just going to be too cumbersome. Um, but yeah, man, I hate being on a new time zone. Yeah, yeah, especially one where it's just one hour back. And it's problematic, too, because a lot of your colleagues, they know that you lived yep. in East Coast time, and they may not be aware that you're now in Central. Uh, so they, they Oh, that too, op- yeah. I haven't had an open lunchtime yet. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing you bring up, yeah. I'm not even aware. I'm not, maybe, I guess I'm not a good uh, co-worker. I just assume Outlook does the update for you. Like, I just mark the time when I want to meet in my time zone, and I expect it all when I send the invite to the West coast or to central, um, that it's going to update automatically. Yeah, I think it does. It does the translation, but I actually didn't expect that. I was like, send me the one true time. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been a great frustration. I forget. I had some other big mix up about it recently. Um, but all the time now when I text people, I'm like, would you like to talk at four EST? And which I just feel <laughs> silly doing, but that's my life now. Yeah, no, I noticed that when you texted me for this call, you you used EST, which yeah, I'm glad you did because I probably wouldn't have thought about it and uh, would have messed you up. And whatever. well, I've really staked out a position that time zones are dumb and we shouldn't have them, and so I I can't in good faith accept or expect anybody else to manage time zones for me, mm-hmm. and so I have to always speak to people in their time zone. Well, no, I have to always speak to people in East Coast time zone, because I don't really acknowledge the existence of other American time zones, but <laughs> I do usually speak to people in East Coast time, uh, and I'll probably continue that. But it is weird. You just always got to be doing the math in your head, because all the clocks in your apartment are wrong. I tried. I think we have also discussed this. I tried to talk to people in UTC for a while, but people just weren't having it. Yeah, what that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I like Eastern Coast. I like the East Coast time. I mean, I've lived in a few different time zones, and this one just feels right. Yeah, great. (laughs) Well, like, a lot of... I don't... Go ahead. (laughs) I don't have anything against a particular time zone. (laughs) It's just, we just need one. I don't even... I mean, I don't care one bit which one we choose. It could be any of them. I just want one. It would just be awful, though, right? That would make everything so much easier. It would just be awful, though, if, if you were the area that was, like, shafted and, like noon is like complete darkness for you well i don't really understand though like why does it matter so like okay so it's dark at noon but you eat lunch at midnight like it seems obvious <laughs> it's so <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it doesn't solve it just i don't know it's something that's um just so conditioned into us the way we think about time that it would be hard to shake i'm not saying it's impossible but I don't. So I'm okay. So I'm interested in this. This has just been a, a thing I've thought about so much because everybody you argues with me. You've about thought about it way more than, than I don't. <laughs> that I feel like is maybe even reasonable. <laughs> One of our first conversations. I don't know if you recall this, but we were sitting in the dining area of uh, in Cincinnati, and one of the first things we were talking about was time zones and the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. So I think it's weird that our perceptions of um, the words like midnight and noon, or um, noon's a bad example, but like night, day, morning, evening, like those refer to things in the world. They refer to where the sun is and like what the weather is like, what the temperature is. Um, But it's just weird that's associated with the numbers we put on times. 
you know, like to me, it would make sense that my noon is your 6 p.m. or something, or like your noon is 6 p.m. My noon is 10 a.m. It's like these are just numbers. In fact, a.m. and p.m. obviously are dumb too. So, but it's like, yeah, we just need numbers so we can all be on the same page, and then you can eat lunch whenever you want. Like, no, that's the thing that people always say to me. They're like, yeah, but then you'd be, then you couldn't eat lunch at a normal time. It's like, no, you can eat lunch whenever you want. It has nothing to do with when 12 o'clock is. Yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying, and uh, no, I understand. I think it's really more of a of a conditioning problem you've just we've just been so conditioned to think and understand time this way that you're just too revolutionary you bring these ideas to the table yeah, and people truly can't comprehend too revolutionary. <laughs> i think it's kind of a uh a relic of a past age when people didn't communicate with others farther away from them and this was less of a problem but more increasingly it's just a huge barrier so anyway yeah. I'm not How do you feel about daylight savings time? I'm not sure we talked about the. Can't really see any benefit to it, so I'd cut that as well. Yeah, I'm, I support that decision. They, we should. Yeah, I think get that rid of daylight savings time. The world is quickly rallying around that. But will it's just it Arizona and the U.S. right now, right? Yeah, well, I think it's... the EU officially has cut it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I don't no, know I if we'll it'll follow suit. Be gone soon, which is good. Hopefully, I know Arizona doesn't follow it. It's funny, every time it happens to us, I have a friend who lives in Arizona, and he always is like, not me, <laughs> not affected, you know, when we lose an hour <laughs> That is nice. Actually, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I have, like, a vague recollection that Chicago said they're not going to do it, which I'm going to Google now. That would be interesting that a city within a state that is following it. Actually, that's happened before. I mean, it might be oh. Illinois. What did you say? It's happened before? I think that is happening. I feel like I recall a CPG Grey video that talks all about this and that there are cities that either do participate or don't participate within a territory that does the opposite. Huh. It might actually be Yeah, there was definitely a proposal. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Arizona, Hawaii both don't. The Illinois Senate passed Senate Bill 533 on Tuesday by a vote of 44 to 2. The bill would make daylight saving time the year-round standard time of the entire state starting in March 2020. So did it happen? So we're (laughs) always in DST. So I guess, yeah, this summer is the normal daylight savings time, but after this, it just never goes away? There is no fallback, I guess? Right. Yeah. That's good news, I guess. That also, will that bring us into East Coast time? I don't really understand any of this because it's too hard to keep track of this. You have to memorize so I much stuff to do with time. I think that would bring you into East Coast time. So if your time remains Man, constant. that would be phenomenal. And, and we go back one hour, and you were already an hour behind us. Wow, this is great, Greg. This is great <laughs> news. Not, wow. not, what you don't know is I'm rallying Ohio right now to... <laughs> Uh, get rid of daylight savings time. <laughs> I want to jump two hours ahead. Yeah, exactly. Only in the winter. <laughs> Only in the fall, actually. Just in the fall. <laughs> and yeah. quickly revert back. So, like, we get 90 days where we're two hour, hours ahead. And we'll go back. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the fall, in the fall, supposedly we get Arm Max. Arm Max. I need you to. I I really am looking forward. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. So, I know you're really excited. I know 
that there correct, has been correct. a lot of build up to this. So I want to hear what has you so excited? What are you looking for? And I see in the show notes, uh, you say, like, maybe we should explain what Max are for the general audience. But I'm going to have to defer yes. to you because I don't think I am equipped to do such a thing. Oh, I think you are. At least not yeah. uh, not not to a level of detail that I think the discussion uh, merits. So I'm going to, yeah, I want you All to take right, the well. floor. Okay, so yeah, so background on this one. Okay, so Apple makes laptops. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Apple is a company, <laughs> makes computers. Um Historically, Apple has always bought their processors from a company called Intel. And Intel does two things, actually. Intel owns the design, or what's called an architecture. And they originally created this architecture back in the 80s, and they still use it. Um, And they also build the physical chips. So that's two things. They both own the IP and build the stuff. Um, In Apple's non-laptops, so in all their iOS devices, for example... Uh, Apple actually pays somebody for one of the other designs. There's really only one competing design, and it's called ARM. So Apple pays them to use that design, and then they pay, and, well, and then they make some modifications, and then they pay somebody else to build it. So they've actually kind of like disintegrated this process. So they're buying a design called ARM, licensing that, and then paying, I think, Taiwan Semiconductor, though I'm not sure, to build the actual chips. So I gotta, I gotta pause. I gotta, I gotta interject here. So Apple pays. Apple licenses the ARM design. So this is something I didn't understand. So everything you've said about Intel and them owning the x86 architecture, I understood. What I don't understand is who owns the ARM architecture because I know almost every single mobile device uses the ARM architecture. And I was just, I sort of came, was under the impression that it was like open source um, but you're but you're saying they yes, license it. That, so who is it? Who is it that they that they're paying for this? That would make sense that it's open source because of the way people talk about it as being like, um, you know, very easily licensed and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it isn't. It, it's a company. Um, it's called Arm Holdings. I just <laughs> looked it up on Wikipedia. Headquartered in Cambridge. Yeah. So this is the stuff where I used to hear about these things, and I thought I knew it all. I thought I actually for a long time thought Arm was basically open source. And recently, I've discovered a lot more as I've done some more reading. So, well, ARM was created as like a more minimal instruction set to be more power efficient. Um, And it's been around, I think, quite a bit less than the Intel x86 instruction set, but I forget how much less. Um, But yeah, Apple does pay somebody to use that. But they are allowed, it's a little complicated, but the instruction set is all you license from ARM not the physical chip design, as I understand it. And so Apple designs their own chips that use an instruction set, which is to say they are capable of doing certain things, basically. Um, It's almost like adhering to a protocol. And Apple designs a physical chip that meets that specification and then sends it off to what is called a fab or a fabricator. I mean, that's what I think is Taiwan Semiconductor, though I'm not sure. And they build the chips for Apple and then send them back. So it's actually quite a complicated chain. Yeah, but I guess the the end result or it, that really matters is that Apple's in control of these chips to some extent. They they license a yeah. um, an art. They license some technology. They they build upon that, and then they get a fabricator to make it. But and they're in control of the design. Versus when you buy chips from Intel, you're just buying the end product, and Intel was yeah. actually in control of of creating the processor. And I think that's probably what matters most to Apple, but 
by by really any reasonable standard, the Apple designed chips seem to be blowing competition out of the water. The last few ARM chips that Apple has designed have been better than pretty much any competition in terms of uh, speed, even Intel. And historically, Intel was the best at speed if you didn't care about power consumption. And Apple seems to be able to beat that for similar power consumption uh, benchmarks and sometimes beat it and use way less power, which is pretty remarkable. So people, I think in the tech industry, people think very highly of Apple's ability to design chips. And this probably will mean that they have more power efficient laptops that also are faster, which is wild. Um, Like the, so all, as I said, all the iOS devices use these ARM chips that Apple designs. And the current iPad uh, or iPad Pro, I think, is faster on a single core than any Apple Mac, except maybe the iPad or the iMac Pro. Um, but it's it's just pretty impressive given it has to not have a fan and it doesn't have external power. So Apple's really, really good at this, basically. Interesting. Yeah, so they're basically taking the leap from creating these processors for their mobile devices and then putting them in their full-fledged computers. Um, something yeah. I'm interested to hear, not sure if you'll have an answer for this, but I, I've heard that, that um, stat before that Apple's... ARM processors on a single core are more powerful than all of the competition. Why do would we care though about single core um, uh, speed tests versus versus like a multi core speed test? I feel my intuition would say like uh, I really care more about multi core because that's what is going to in practice be the what's occurring. But am I wrong? Yeah, that's a good question. Um... So I think that it really just depends on what you're doing. Like certain things are really well parallelized, but a lot of things can't be parallelized very well. And so I I think that's basically what it comes down to. Some things Mm. can't. There's actually this thing called um, Amdahl's Law or Amdahl's Law, which is like a formula for how much of a task you can parallelize. Um, How does that translate to speed ups? It's like semi-famous in computer science-y stuff. And it's always a little surprising when you actually try to do the math on something, because you realize that even if like half the task is parallelizable, that gets you not very much speed up. Interesting. You know? So if you think of like a task that takes you an hour and you can split half of it up eight ways, but the other half has to be run in serial, that task is going to take still 30 minutes in serial plus 30 minutes divided by eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what? Like, yeah. So like another four minutes. So it's going to be, that's okay. I guess 34 minutes instead of an hour, but it's not massive, even though you're throwing like eight threads at it right right okay interesting so so i think that's the idea i want to hear your predictions on how this will impact the perception of apple computers as it to the developer audience i guess i'll give you a bit more context when this all came out so i had a basic understanding of intel chips x86 architecture versus arm which has traditionally been mobile processors because they're much more power efficient in that um the history of apple's laptops there is a clear uh correlation between when they switch to intel's processors and them becoming more popular amongst developers rather than being a more niche product for designers and basic consumers uh and so when the when the news dropped there seemed to be quite a split among from what i saw on reddit 
among people's opinions, some saying, this is great and I'm really excited and this has zero impact on me as a developer. Um, and in fact, it's a good thing for me as a developer versus uh, others saying, this is awful. I like think this is like a really bad move and it's going to definitely push me to using Linux instead of Mac OS and Apple laptops. So I'd like to get hear your take on on it. Yeah, I think that's... I think we just need to know more um, because a, a big part of that is is where you think the industry is going. So I'm reminded of this and I can't think how the quote goes, but there's like some quote in Lord of the Rings. that's like the age of elves is over and the age of men is here. And if you feel that the age of Intel is over and the age of ARM is here, um, then this is probably very good because Apple is good at making these ARM chips. And if you're going to be developing not just on your Mac on ARM, but just in general on ARM more often, if ARM is going to be what we use for Windows and Linux often, then this is great. You know, it's it's going to play nice with all the other platforms, and it's just that we have a new, faster architecture, and that's what we're going to be using. Now, if you think that that's not true, and Apple is switching, but they're doing it maybe too early, or their bets are wrong, and really Intel is going to win out in the end... Um, then this could be very bad because it means that you're developing on a platform that doesn't look anything like what other computers look like. You know, mm. your your processor is not the same one that's in a server that you might work on as a developer. So I, I think, yeah, it depends on your perspectives and where you place your bets. But I think the smart money is on ARM, honestly. Intel seems, from what I've read, seems to be sort of failing to meet the benchmarks that they've put forth for several years now. Um, they used to be on a pretty regular cadence of making smaller chips uh, and still meeting certain performance benchmarks, and they have not been able to do that recently. So it seems like either Intel's engineering or simply the constraints of the, the architecture they use are becoming a limit where that hasn't happened with ARM. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. I'm not sure I really understand enough to make a informed opinion on what it will what the outcome would be but i can see the benefit of using arm having arm processors in that devices be and devices become more and more uh are becoming more and more portable um and that arm is just naturally uh, a better fit for that because of power consumption so that makes a lot of sense like app develop like yeah. mobile app development is going to thrive on apple because there won't need to be any translation any longer. Um, yeah. And also you'll be able to run all these iOS apps on your laptop, which is going to be interesting. And it seems, the consensus seems to have come to the point that almost everyone thinks um, there's going to be touch touch interface on Apple laptops. Interesting. And based on what was shown at WWDC, it seems pretty likely to me too. Um, everything is bigger, more, I don't know more icon looking very mm-hmm. touchable mm-hmm. uh so i think it is very likely we do get touch i think it's possible I, I mean this is not an unusual opinion a couple podcasts i listened to today shared this opinion i think it is possible though not likely that the first arm max actually have touch and those will come out at the end of this year apple's already said that so it's actually possible we have touch max by the end of the year that'll be interesting to see uh a, a mac with a touch screen running a very ios like um operating system i'm so intrigued now that the whole i like app store mobile app store available to you is pretty yeah very because i know they i know that there was 
I don't recall what the name is. But Apple released a um, piece of software to base it to allow you to translate iOS apps onto Mac OS. Um, mm-hmm. And they Catalyst. did that with their own applications first to to illustrate mm-hmm. how how this could work. And everybody um, kind of hated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that, but it seems like they doubled down on this, right? Or was it that that implementation was was bad in some way, and that they think if it's ARM in the computer it will be better? That's a good question. I mean, I think it wasn't totally hands off, but I am so far from an expert. This is just what I hear from podcasts. Um, yeah, my impression is nobody built a really solid Catalyst app, so people's That's confidence was. was kind of undermined. Um, but also that it was somewhat limiting in actual use. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I'm so if man, if if uh, a touchscreen Mac came out, that would be that'd be an instant purchase. Got it. You got to have the first touchscreen Mac. I would be <laughs> so interested to play with that. And my computer now is coming up on four years, which is wild. Yeah, I still bet your computer though can like handle your daily tasks like fairly easily. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's where I'm at. Is like can. my computer's only a year old. I just don't think I'm gonna run out and like grab the next uh, 16 inch MacBook Pro to replace this yeah. one year old <laughs> uh, 15 inch MacBook Pro. I mean, it would be great to have like the the to be a part of where the ecosystem and operating system is headed. But I know that they have their Rosetta 2 translation. Not sure if that means I will get access to all the iOS apps on my computer. Probably not. I I thought it was the opposite, wasn't it? I think Rosetta is the translator to run Intel software on the ARM Max. Oh, yes, you're right. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to get any of the benefits when I'm <laughs> yes, at, when I upgrade to Mac OS, which will be interesting as like to be to experience what it's like, and that to be an individual like that isn't going to upgrade right away, but has is a loyal Apple consumer. Like, what is how well do they treat me? Yeah, right. Because I've like it is going to be interesting. Yeah, over the past few years, I've really like bought into slowly bought into Apple, and in that like all my devices have become Apple. I'm tied into the ecosystem. This was a conscious decision. So I guess we'll see if it pays off, right? Do they treat me yeah. right? <laughs> or do they just leave me out, like hang me out to dry? And they're like, oh, buy the next laptop. That's all I can say. If you want all of the, uh, um, I don't know, whatever's coming in the next versions of, iOS, of Mac OS. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Because I'd still like to be able to use this laptop for a while. Uh, yeah. But we shall see. And speaking of Apple hardware, I did buy the Magic Keyboard, which is some follow-up from last time. And it is excellent. It is really, really excellent. It was expensive, but I am certainly glad that I bought it. Such a good stand and keyboard. The keyboard is really nice. The trackpad is really nice. I often fall into using it and just kind of forget that it's an iPad. Like, I don't think to touch it for a while. And then I pull off the iPad itself and go sit outside and read. It's been really good. So very pleased. I'm actually using Sidecar right now as a second screen to look at our show notes while we talk while we talk um yeah it's been very good so i can have at my second podcast desk i can have this portable extra screen and getting the giant size of the ipad as i've mentioned before was just who no question such a good decision (laughs) so with the keyboard um i haven't actually used one so does it feel does it feel as good as the logitech keyboard that we both have like that you have enough finger space and like typing isn't um you're not like missing any keystrokes or actually hitting the wrong key. 
I never hit the wrong key or anything. Um, I don't think very many keyboards feel as good as that Logitech one. I think Greg and I both have the K780 for anybody listening, um, which is a really nice keyboard. This is not like that uh, because that one has like divoted keys with lots of space in between. This is just like a very adequate keyboard. It's better than the keyboard on the the 15-inch MacBook Pro. I would say that. It's better by a good margin. Um, You can finally remap keys, which is really helpful. Yeah, I find I find myself very comfortable on it. It would be nice if it were a little, if it had some space along the sides, maybe. Like it's just it's only as big as the keyboard needs to be. But it is a full size keyboard, I'm pretty sure. But that's true, probably only for this giant model. I would imagine the ten and a half or the eleven inch iPad. What do I have? The thirteen? I always mix this up. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirteen. I forget. Yeah, for the smaller size iPad Pro, I bet that it does feel really cramped because this one spans the whole width and there would be not as much room on that one and what is it like to use a trackpad does it, it shows a cursor and you're like clicking on your applications and in part like it in shows the like a like a shadow and anywhere you click it's just like tapping it's actually very intuitive i thought it would be annoying it really is not it's really good and um, gestures do you use the gestures on the touch yep on the, on the pad same as the mac gestures the four up to swipe away and go home and stuff yeah, no, it feels really natural, actually. Yeah, I've I've come to really like it. It is I wouldn't say it's indispensable, but it's been very helpful. And I actually still use my old iPad too because it's smaller and lighter. I'm like, oh, the toy iPad. I'll go I'll go read in the living room with the toy iPad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, great time for technology in my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, very cool, very cool. I wonder if we will see any hiccups uh, with the release of new like uh, new tech due to coronavirus right so apple has said we will have arm max by yeah. end of year i don't think they would say that unless they were really confident that they could deliver um but i also just question and kind of say yeah. i don't know will you really be able to like follow through and make that happen if we have uh, if the pandemic continues and there are additional shutdowns in different parts of the world and uh, more quarantining uh Will there be any um, hiccups in the uh, distribution uh, and manufacturing pipelines? I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. I certainly hope not. But, yeah, it's a very reasonable <laughs> concern. I don't know. All right, got to do some, some topics for you. I've had a couple of mine. Uh, let's check in on your yearly theme. Yeah. So, as a reminder, for those who don't remember from the last episode, we talked about our yearly themes and i came and shared that my yearly theme was going to be the year of uh oh my gosh why am i blanking <laughs> you'll have to keep this in exploration Greg. exploration, exploration. Why, why did i want to say innovation i was like that's not right <laughs> i haven't been innovating ah, i see at you're all. very committed to the theme <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly no so that is a bit of the story here in that I definitely have been exploring, but I started off really strong and have since tapered off a little bit. So I started off really strong in terms of reading uh, and writing, and uh, that has since definitely tapered off into maybe a more reasonable pace. I'm not sure. I am conflicted. <laughs> um, but I, I still think I agree with the theme and that it's something I'm striving to do, but the shape and form that I thought it would take, uh, 
is maybe not quite what I expected. I have found that, well, one, the, some of the material that I started off wanting to read, um, I enjoyed it, but it became that a lot of the material is similar to one another, and reading that all together at one time, like one after another after another, became um, tiresome. And sort of yeah. like too much fourteenth uh, century military strategy. Yeah, exactly. Just didn't find that applicable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, honestly, that was one of the one of the struggles. Was I'm like, well, this is interesting, but also, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's. I realized that it's like I can't. I need to create incorporate variety into this. Otherwise, I just burn out and end up like falling short of where I'm where I want to be. So. That's good. You learned something from your exploration. That seems That's good. true. That is true. So in response to that, I have um, ins- spent some time exploring little side projects, little toy projects, um, rather than reading and writing. So like one thing I did was create a little React toy app that pulled from NASA's API and create a little website, um, which was fun. I don't really know JavaScript. I don't really know web development. So that was just an interesting thing of like, oh, exploring this little piece of tech that I'm unfamiliar with and kind of, you know, broadening my horizons just a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I also did a little bit of exploration related to web scraping. I'm actually kind of toying with the idea now of creating a web scraping application um, and storing the data in a, in a database and these will be there will be a lot of learning occurring if I if I do and take that endeavor so yeah that's a bit of an update on the on the year of exploration that's pretty good toy react app yeah react is very interesting I find it very hard to think about but uh, oh yeah well it's experience. one of those things too where I was like just scratching the surface mm-hmm. and I did. I held. I had a bit of like childlike wonder a little because like a lot of it's a mystery. When you're new to a programming language, yeah. you see things when you're like, "Oh, I get that. That's a function, or that's an object." But there's so much happening under the covers that you're just oblivious to, and you don't have to really worry about it because you're not. I wasn't taking this all se- as seriously as I did when I when I learned Python. I like bought a. I'm looking at it here, learning Python, which is like a 1500 page book, and it's like. This is yeah. <laughs> from beginning to end what Python is. And I took it very seriously and I like started from the basics and worked my way up. And this was more like, let me just dive in the middle because React is like a framework for JavaScript. And if you don't know JavaScript, you can't really use React <laughs> in any yeah. serious way. Um, but I was like, let me just jump in here and, and toy around and see what, what, I, what, this, what this is like. And so as I was poking around this toy, and I was so, the way I did this was I followed a tutorial blog that sort of basically hailed my hand all the way through and walked me through exactly what I should be doing. Otherwise, I, I just wouldn't have been able to do it. So um, I was, as I like built pieces of this application, I would go like, <laughs> I would, you know, incorporate some new bit of code. And then I'd be like, ooh, oh my goodness, I can't believe that just happened on the website. Like, that's yeah. crazy. Or as a good example, when you start a React application, you initialize it by basically telling React to like build your empty uh, project uh, directory structure. And it goes and builds a ton of um, basically the entire framework you need to get started. And I found that in, like really cool. I just like one command. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just created the entire project. Like you can actually yeah. toy with like the framework toy project that you've just created with React. I'm like, man, that's, and it just gave me ideas. I'm like, oh, that is so cool. Like, 
I wonder what kind of things like exist like this in Python. And I mean, Sphinx Docs is a similar kind of a similar th- does a similar thing for you when you tell it to build the docs for you. It'll run off and do some conversions of plain text files into HTML files. And I don't know. It was a fun experience just to, and it only took me a couple days to to make it happen. Nice. Yeah. My uh, my great fear of React comes from the fact that it's transpiled, which for anybody who isn't familiar with this, basically a lot of programming languages, you write them and then you send them off to where they're going to get executed. And that either means that they get uh, compiled, which is like turned into machine code, like low-level computer code, or there's like a program that reads the lines of your program and executes them. That's called interpreted. But transpilation is when you write some code and then a program turns it into some other code, which then gets interpreted or compiled. It's like an extra step, basically. And um, React files get transpiled into JavaScript files. And it's just, to me, it's just too much. It's like there's too many layers of abstraction. It it gets really hard to reason about as a non-expert. Like if Mm -hmm. I knew more, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But I find it's just another level for things to go wrong, and it's very hard for me to like figure out what's happening when I don't expect certain output. Um, and so I found it a bit frustrating. I really like this one front-end framework that I think is not nearly as popular called Vue, although I think it's catching uh, yeah, up. I've learned Vue. I think it is. I, I know nothing of the world of JavaScript, but Vue seems pretty popular. There's like three major frameworks in the JavaScript mm. web development world. There's React, there's Angular, and there's Vue. And React is made by Facebook. And Angular is supported made by Google. And then Vue is an actual proper open source project started by yeah. a single individual. I actually recently watched a YouTube video, which is funny. I guess Google like saw me working through a React tutorial. So then they're like, you're probably interested in more JavaScript stuff. So like all these things in my suggestions are Java. And I'm like, I'm not really that interested in JavaScript, Google. Like you're way overestimating my interest over here. But one of the things was just a short documentary was like, what is Vue and how did it even get started? And I can't remember the guy's name. I'll have to look it up. And perhaps I think it's Evan Yu. Yes, that's right. He, uh, He just started as a side project of, he was working with JavaScript and he like noticed he wanted a framework, uh, to make his job easier and so he built one he started building one on the side and it became slowly over time really popular yeah so are react and angular open source are they actually closed source that that facebook and google just allow other like loud developers to use oh i'm almost certain they're open source Mm, okay Um, in fact i think that facebook and google although they're like the main maintainers don't technically own them like i think there might be like a steering council or something but i forget interesting yeah, someday I want to do a proper Vue app. I also did a tutorial, kind of like what you're saying with React. I did a Vue tutorial over a couple of days, but I have some ideas. It just works with my brain better. I liked the way it was laid out. It was like, oh, I could I could figure this out. So is Vue like React in that it's, a, that it's transpiled, or is it just proper JavaScript? I don't know. The, I, I don't forget. Know. You definitely don't. I remember what you do is you actually leave extra. They're not tags. I forget what they're called but you leave extra things inside the HTML tags themselves instead of writing the weird combo JavaScript HTML that you write in JSX files, which are like the the uh, React files. But I don't know. I'm so far from an expert. I should not speak authoritatively at all. Um, I just happened to like the way it looked, and I thought I understood it better. So is the primary use case... I know that it's expanding over time. It, I heard a quote. 
uh, and maybe maybe a bit nervous, but it was if something can be done in JavaScript, it will eventually be done in JavaScript. Which that <laughs> quote was in the early two thousand. Somebody yeah. stated this, and it's like it was way ahead of its time. <laughs> I guess the way I would put it, it's and it's come true in a lot of regards. So, I like again, I don't know a ton about JavaScript, but I know that. There's a framework, Node.js, that allows JavaScript developers to start doing things on the back end when JavaScript, for most of its history, was front-end only and, you know, uh, user-side focused on in, in rendering websites and other applications. So I guess the question, it raises the question to me, should I be in, really be interested in learning JavaScript uh, to like sort of future-proof myself, is it likely that there will be data science frameworks in JavaScript? And, and uh... well, probably. <laughs> yeah. Now there's a ooh, what's it called? There's a th- so we talked about instruction sets for uh, for processors earlier, but there's also like a a bare minimum JavaScript instruction set. A oh, WebAssembly. There's something called WebAssembly. And WebAssembly needs to also be supported by browsers. I mean, I think it is. But mm-hmm. it's basically, if you can compile any program to WebAssembly somehow, then it'll run in browsers. And so it, it sort of, like, cuts out the legs from JavaScript in some sense. Because previously, if you wanted to, like, run Python in your browser or do data science in your browser even, what you needed to do was find a way to turn that Python code or whatever your data science code was into JavaScript to send it to a browser and let the browser execute it. But now there's another thing that can be run in the browser, which is WebAssembly code. And there are Python compilers into WebAssembly. They don't work on everything. But people have even gotten like NumPy and Pandas to work. So at that point, the main purpose and like the unique thing about JavaScript, the fact that it was the only thing that runs in browsers, um, or the only thing that runs client-side, mm-hmm. that's no longer really true. I mean, it's still mostly true. I think that we will still see JavaScript dominating a lot of things. It'll still be the most used language for a lot of reasons. But it does mean that like there's... It's not necessary that everything be done in JavaScript. It's more necessary that things have a way to get into WebAssembly. Gotcha. Yeah. And I forget what the, the WebAssembly Python thing is. Oh, pi, pi died, like iodide, pi died. The Python scientific stack, uh, and then dot, 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 and I don't see what it says after that. The Python scientific stack compiled to WebAssembly. So that has pandas and NumPy and some other stuff. So then you could run... Any data science, not any, but proceed or uh, you could run most any uh, data science task in the browser by by performing this translation. Yep. So what what would be handy about that, like a potential use case, is right now, um, if you want to run Python, you got to install Python. Right. And that would not be true here. You could like have a web page, and like somebody, you know, somebody has a website that they write that lets you just type arbitrary Python and in your computer, it gets compiled into WebAssembly and executed in the browser. So you don't install anything, which is pretty nifty. Interesting. That is pretty cool. I've never used it, but I, I've heard a bit about it and I think it's going to turn out to be very big. Do you think that WebAssembly, will people, is WebAssembly itself a proper language that you, that some people are coding in right now? Like, or is it really just a means to an end of like you started in one language, but you wanted to run the browser, so uh, translate into WebAssembly? I think it is. 
It is specifically for this purpose. So I mischaracterized it earlier in saying it's an instruction set. It's technically a type of assembly language. So if you've ever heard of assembly language, that's like most programs get compiled into assembly language at some point. And that's very close to the lowest level of instructions that a computer can understand. But it's not it's not the whole way down, which is called machine code. Um, so this is like the assembly language of the web. That's the idea. You can compile it down to this, which is really close to the lowest level, but not quite. And then you can send that to a browser, and a browser can figure out how to execute it. Well, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, I guess I, I should, I will do try to do better between now and our next call. At what? <laughs> at exploring? At exploring. And I'll come back. That sounds and, pretty and successful. Report. Yeah, I will say the thing that I have explored the most <laughs> uh, are video games. I have spent nice. <laughs> at when I ran out of steam for the books and the learning, I just vegged out on video games. Uh, and so that's where I, and, and I don't feel like that is, um, I'm being, I'm joking a bit here, but I do think that, um, that is like valid exploration to me of experiencing video games as, as somewhat of an art form and just a fun experience. So, I had intended that to be a part of my season of exploration because I did have a backlog of of stuff I I wanted to play, but um, maybe in this first part of the season, it it kind of came to dominate, and I uh, definitely want that to to find the right balance. But yeah, so I've been playing a ton of video games. Um, I see that you've been playing some too. Is that what, is that been your like leisure activity in terms of quarantine? Uh... I'm trying not to make it that way, but I I definitely have played quite a bit. I think actually for me, NBA, NBA 2K, uh, probably my favorite game, has, uh, it represents a way for me to feel like I'm not being totally unproductive while actually turning off my brain, basically, because I can listen to podcasts while I do it, and I definitely have this feeling of getting something done when I'm catching up on podcasts, even though I'm not, I'm probably even only half listening. But I do play many years into the future of NBA 2K. So it's it's now 2033. Um, the Spurs have won an additional 15 championships. They did lose <laughs> one year. Uh, I lost the most recent year because one of my players got injured and I was going young. So I had no good players. So it, it was very sad. Um, but you can't win them all, quite literally. And uh, other than that, yeah, it's been, been really successful. Drafting well. <laughs> putting yeah. together a good new team. The only problem I have, I enjoy the 2K franchise mode, as as you do too, but the only problem I have, and I have to resist the temptation to do this when I play, is it's often way too easy to swindle teams out of their draft picks and then end up being yep. like making deep runs in the playoffs or just even being the champion and then still having a top 10, top 5 pick. Yeah, wait, wait what do you mean you have to avoid that? <laughs> it just breaks <laughs> the, the game idea. in such a way. I had a team with the Bucks, and I drafted number one or number two and uh, ended up with this incredible young athlete alongside uh, what was already an excellent core oh, so of fun. the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and then this next year, the same thing happened, and both times the best player at the, at, at the time when I was picking was uh, a humongous center. So I ended up with two young, super athletic centers, and it was like Twin Towers, like constantly, just and like yeah. with Giannis at the small forward. So it's like, actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like we're the tallest team by far. We're all super athletic. I knew it. Yeah. So I, it just becomes, it gets to the point where like, uh, 
it's just so game breaking at times where I'm like, uh, I don't know. I kind of want to restart and like reintroduce the challenge a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I enjoy the variety of it. I like building different kinds of teams over time as they age out. Like right now I have this team of all three and D players. I think I have like eight small forwards on my roster. And so now I have a small forward playing point guard, a small forward playing shooting guard, a small forward (laughs) playing power forward. Um, but they're all good shooters. They're all de- decent defenders. And then I have like one, I think I actually do have a real point guard, one like aging point guard who's good at passing and shooting. And then I just run the offense through him. And I find that very interesting because it's so different than the style I played a couple years before where I was like this hyper athletic team and stuff. I don't know. I think it is, it is very entertaining to me. And then moving on to the next draft class and like, what will I get now? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The other game breaking thing is when you um, pick draft picks who are overseas Mm-hmm. because i find that other teams really count them out but y- but they always get better from the time you draft them and also because you're good your team probably is very expensive right now but in a couple years you'll have more salary cap room and you can plan around them and suddenly they come in as like an 85 or something which is a pretty high rating for a rookie so i always draft those guys too and i actually ran into an issue uh a couple weeks ago where i drafted too many players who were overseas and i hit the limit and it was like you can't draft them and then i had these three players and i had to let go of one of them and i was like no they're all gonna be really good and i wasn't right. allowed to trade them or anything it's very i've been there too i have picked up that tip from you i've and when i'm in a situation where i'm like do i pick this known entity that i don't really need right now like some player that i could draft or this international player who's in the euro league I almost always go with the EuroLeague guy now and just roll the dice and see yeah, what happens. Yeah, Luka Doncic. Yeah, exactly. Now, they don't always come across. I've had times when they've like come across like they've they've it's been 2 years and they're ready to come to my team and then when they come across I'm like, "Ah, I'm a little disappointed. I was expecting more out of you." Like they're overall, I don't know, yeah. it's closer to average. <laughs> but uh more often than not, you're getting an above average player. Um and in the timing, you're right is often the case where like I've had the situation where I didn't want to draft I actually didn't I had a draft pick that nobody was going to give me anything for but if I were to draft a player I'm going to immediately cut him because I don't have any roster spots uh because I have like yeah. better rookies that I'm going to keep on the team so in that situation drafting a EuroLeague player is a great idea because then you just delay it for a year or two and then they come to your team but I've also yeah, made the no, mistake where I've forgotten about them <laughs> I've forgotten that they're coming, and then they'll show up, and I'm like, oh, wait, someone's got to go. Like, there are already too many people on the roster. <laughs> yeah, I've had that, too. It's not usually too many people. It's usually the hard cap that I hit, which is tough. I tend to overextend people. I've now instituted a strict policy of trading people away when they turn 30. Can't play anymore. 30 See, years old, get out of here. I normally keep those guys because um, they're often cheap, and they can mentor the younger guys. Ah, uh, the mentoring, yes. Yes. No, no. Very important. <laughs> I need good character guys on my video game team. <laughs> I always say that. I don't want them getting into trouble. Exactly. I mean, this is a young team. We're building something here, and I need good mentors. <laughs> yeah. I do not prioritize that. Yeah, and I think it's mostly a broken feature. I mean, as in, it doesn't do anything. Like, 2K shows this whole screen of, like, mentorship, yeah. but oftentimes I'm like, this nothing's happening. Like, you're yes. not actually giving the skills that you said you're going to give to the rookie <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah uh, getting enough sleep point. yeah <laughs> so so what else are you playing the one game that i got super into for a few weeks was well i've played a ton but i'm gonna only talk about one i played dark souls 3 for the first time and it was a uh oh yeah you mentioned this yeah i did 
I think when I mentioned it to you, it was that I was contemplate, contemplating getting it, or I had just gotten it, but I hadn't played it yet. Mm-hmm. So it went on sale for $9, and I was like, okay, I've thought about playing this game over the past few years at $9. Let me just give it a try. And if I absolutely hate it, I'm only not out 9 bucks. It's not a big deal. And I ended up really, really liking it. And it has, and it, and it's really impacted the way I see and think about video games now. It's a bit of a like, oh wow, a changing Like it has sort of changed me as a video game player, which I think is a bit cliche of a take at this point. Like a lot of people feel this way. It's why it's like such a popular franchise. But it's true. It's just so. It's a so very why? Okay. Yeah. So why? That's a great question. So, if you don't know, Dark Souls is a game series that is made by a company called From Software. And From Software's um, approach to video games is that they make notoriously very difficult video games that often scare away new players because of how notorious the difficulty is and that it is impossible, basically, is the perception. And that, you, that you're going to die so often and it's going to be not a fun experience unless you're good at the game. But what I found was, one, the difficulty is, is very real. It is a very challenging game. But it isn't insurmountable. And that is sort of like the whole point of the game. Is that you learn... And I guess let me take another step back too. Is that another design principle of from software games? Is that not only are they very difficult, they also don't tell you what to do at all. They give you very mm-hmm. minimal instructions on <laughs> how you're supposed to approach this game and what and what it is you're actually supposed to do. So this combination I can see is very off-putting, right? It's a very difficult game with no instructions. How can that be fun? But the fun is really in. Um, Learning how to approach the game and figuring out how it is you want to play. Because there's a variety of different ways you can approach problems in this game. Um, You're not at all like put on a rail cart and forced through the game in a certain way. Um, And it also really rewards exploration and creativity. So as an example... Oh, that sounds good. Yes. And the worlds that, that, that... are in Dark Souls 3 are very interesting. They're very fun to explore. But it's this really... It creates this interesting tension where you're like, do I really want to push myself to explore in this area I have never been? Because I don't know what's lurking in here. And if I die... <laughs> I guess I need to... I keep running past the some yeah, of the I don't know groundwork because I just really like this game. But one of the other um, factors or features in the game, I guess you could say... Or gameplay mechanics. One of the gameplay mechanics is that killing enemies rewards you with a currency called souls. And you can trade souls for levels in the game that make you stronger or give you more health. So they're the things that you want, right? You want souls so that you can get better, in a sense. You can get stronger and then you can push on into harder, more difficult areas. If you, However, if you die in the game, you drop all of your souls, and the only way you can get them back is getting back to the spot that you died and then picking them up. So you get back to where you died and you're wow, like... that sounds excruciating. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, it is, in, in a really real, real sense. And 
the kicker is if you die before you retrieve your souls, they are gone forever. You can't get them back. So if I had 100,000 souls, which is an absurd amount, especially early in the game. That's like a ridiculous amount of souls to have. If you died and lost those and then on your way back to try to retrieve those souls died again they will 100,000 souls will be gone forever and you can't get you can't get them back so (laughs) there is this really real tension where you're like i want to explore but also i want to be super careful and i'm very concerned and often on very high alert and the tension this tension follows you throughout the game, but what you realize as the more you play um, is that you one you really do get a lot better at the game, and two you learn like little you just learn little tricks and ways to approach the game that make this not in my opinion like occur as often as you might think. It's not like early on in the game you're going to die a lot, but later in the game you're probably not going to die as much if you've really stuck it out and. Um, figure out how to play the game, you're probably not going to die too frequently. But one of the points I wanted to get to before I got on tangents with the souls was that the game, um, it pushes you, but you're allowed to push it back in some really interesting ways. And a good example is, in the very first area of the game, there is a, a really tough enemy for the level at which you start the game that rewards you with some very valuable materials. So you want to take this enemy on and kill them, but they're also very, very difficult. And if you die, you just get sent back to the very beginning of the the, the entry area. So it can be this really frustrating game loop where you're like, I'm trying to start the game, but I can't get... I like, And this person is totally optional, but you want to do it because you need this material because it's going to make you really much better at the beginning. Um, so I tried this over and over and I kept dying and I was like, you know what, forget this. I found a ledge... I found a ledge um, just a short ways away from this enemy. So I cleared out the area near the ledge, and I was like, I'm going to make this enemy follow me all the way to the ledge, and then I'm going <laughs> to kick him off. <laughs> and I'm going to kick him off this edge, and then I'll win. And uh, so I was like, this game is pushing me, and I'm going to push it back. Like I'm, I, I, This isn't the way you're supposed to approach the problem, but this is how I'm going to do it. And it worked perfectly fine. In fact, I didn't have to kick him off. He rolled off the ledge himself because we're fighting on the <laughs> super narrow ledge and he's like a big enemy and he ends up just falling off. And I get the materials I want and it's fantastic and I go on about my merry way. So there, it's just a really interesting game and it totally hooked me. The enemy designs and types, like cons- like most games, by like one third of the way through, you've seen all the different enemy types. And for the rest of the game, they're just going to recycle those in slightly different ways, but you're really not going to see anything new. That is not true with Dark Souls. Every single area that you go into has new enemies, and the way that they attack and what they're able to do is going to surprise you and really push you. You'll have you'll get you'll um, be lulled into a sense of complacency, like oh, I know what I'm doing. I've totally mastered this game. And then at that very moment, you're going to come across an enemy that you've never seen before, and they're going to totally surprise you. Um, so it was uh, a really fun experience. I'm glad that I played the game. And it definitely has changed the way I think about other games. I have I've played a few others, like started playing a few others after I completed that game. And I'm just like, this isn't Dark Souls. <laughs> I'm just like, where's the That's challenge? So where's the where's the where's the creativity in the approach, in the design, in the way that the levels are laid out and what 
how you can overcome problems that the game presents to you. What I've just noticed is a lot of games are really on a on a on a on a railroad. Like there is one way to do it, and if you don't yeah. do it the exact right way, you then you're not going to win. You're going to just fail, and that's it. And Dark Souls isn't like that at all. If you want to, you can run through entire levels and not fight anything. Um, because eventually you'll like de-aggro the enemies, and they will quit following you. They'll some of them will follow you for what is surprisingly long periods of time. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, you continue to run and run. And some of the other gameplay mechanics, like, that are a bit um, interesting is that you, like, stamina is a huge component of the game. Every action you take depletes stamina. And so every swing, every dodge, every block, um, these are depleting your stamina. So you really become... As you start the game, what I found was I was a button masher. And yeah. part of that still lingered through the whole game. Just because it's so ingrained in me. But like in most games, t- stamina doesn't matter. Like You mash the mm-hmm. buttons as hard and as fast as you possibly can, and that is how you win. Um, not true in Dark Souls. You will think, oh, I will, just run, I will just run around, and I will just roll away. And then you will deplete your entire stamina, and you can't do anything else, and the enemy just comes up and hits you, and it's game over. So you really just have to... Everything that most modern games have ingrained into you dark souls breaks the mold and that is why it's such a a game that really sticks with you i think is it does everything different than than the modern game experience and i really appreciate it i'm glad i played it yeah that it sounds yeah it sounds like it would change your perspective it does not sound like a thing i would enjoy it sounds extremely frustrating but yeah i could see how it totally could be really good for certain people the the frustration is like the what makes it good though because yeah. there i had never i had sort of lost like some of the joy that comes from video games like i just recall as a young kid right playing games i would get so worked up and and like into a boss fight or into yeah. a section and, and like i just would be like my heart would be racing i'm like i, I don't know if i'm gonna be able to do it uh, and then when you complete it you're like yes like i did it i feel like accomplished like i really achieved something and that it's had for a long time like just not really been a part of my gaming experience as an adult it's just something that just wasn't there because games really didn't push me but there were numerous times in dark souls where i was fighting a boss that had beaten me you know a dozen times and i would get it down to like within like i could win i could win this fight i see the health bar and it's getting it's dwindling and i could win and my heart would start to pound and my hands would get sweaty and i'm like i could do it i can do it and i, I would get so worked up and when you when you do achieve it you're like you feel like you've actually accomplished something when yeah. most games you don't you it really lacks that feeling so i don't know i might sound crazy talking about this like i'm i don't know i kind how, of understand how i'm coming off but yeah i really really enjoyed it one thing i will say though and i don't know if i would do it differently is that and i did two things that really changed the way that i played the game one thing is that i played offline which in to add to the oppressiveness of Dark Souls, something that can happen in the game is that other players can invade your world and attack you. So you're in this oppressive and steal oppressive, your souls, I guess. And steal your souls. They don't actually gotcha. steal your souls, but your souls will drop where they killed you if they do kill you. But but what's what the benefit they, to them? Um, it's this like convoluted pro, uh, like clan system where certain things in the game that you want to do or items you want to obtain can only be gotten if you have enough of these like clan materials so the way that you do that is align yourself with a certain clan and then invade other people's worlds and like sometimes you're a good invader so like 
if you align yourself to this like protector clan, and I didn't experience any of this because I just totally opted out, which is valid. The game says like you can opt out of this if you want by turning the internet off. Um, it, you can align to a clan that's like if someone else gets invaded, summon me to help protect them from the invader. So it's like I'm a good guy. Like I don't invade people to kill them. I invade only when others are being invaded to attack the uh, invader. But you get these different materials and you need them for things. I didn't get that far into the game. Um, I totally opted out of the online component. Now, the game will invade you with non-human players that play, surprisingly, a lot like human players. Um, But that is... I just decided... I got invaded one time. I ended up winning, but it totally messed me up where I was. I was planning on going to fight a boss, and this guy invaded me. And it's like this super stressful situation because all it says is you are being invaded and you don't know where in the map yeah. this person's like current, like coming and you're just afraid like they're going to jump out at you, like jump on you and, and attack you and you're going to die. So thankfully I found him and we were like just staring at each other across this like, um, like open little grass area, kind of like wooded area. And it became this like duel that lasted like, I don't know, t- five or ten minutes and by the end of it i had used all my potions and i was super low on health and i couldn't go fight the boss that i wanted to fight so it like totally derailed me and i almost died so i was like you know what i'm really not interested in this this part of the game um maybe maybe in a future playthrough i'll turn the internet on and let myself be invaded and vice versa but so i opted out of that um and then the other thing i used was a walkthrough so Dark Souls, like I said, doesn't really tell you what to do or really anything about the world. So to help me, um, especially in some parts where it can be very confusing to understand where it is you're supposed to go because the you'll be in like these catacombs and things look really similar to, to where you just previously were. So it's easy to get turned around and lost. Um, I used a walkthrough to sort of guide me through uh, getting through the game in that way. So... I didn't have a completely blind experience. Perhaps if I would have tried to play the game all on my own, I would have given up in frustration. I'm not sure. But I know like turning off the internet and using the walkthrough were the right things for me to do um, and ultimately led to having a better experience with the game. Yeah, that's good. That reminds me of like when I turned on God Mode in The Witcher and I had a much better experience. So God Mode, does that give you like all the powers and abilities? or what? Oh, you God just don't mode? take damage. <laughs> you don't take any damage which is great that was such a huge upgrade man i yeah i really enjoyed that um actually the other thing it reminds me of is when i played bioshock i picked up bioshock when i was in high school and i just found it too stressful like too creepy things jump out at you all the time there's all this like screeching in the background and i was just so creeped out that i put it down and then I picked it up again a couple years later with a walkthrough, and that made all the difference. I had a great time. I loved the game. The walkthrough didn't really like spoil the plot at all. It just told me where to go, and it made it a lot less stressful. Like I know that's part of the experience, but for me, I don't enjoy that. And so whenever something was about to jump out, it told me. It was like, you're going to go around this corner, and you're going to get attacked. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Okay, I'm Attack ready is coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like part of that, too, with the walkthrough, like some of those things, like some of... The- some of the areas I went blind through, I was like, I feel comfortable enough to do this. And I would go blind like halfway through, or I would only look at the walkthrough when I got confused or whatever. And then other times I needed, I was like, you know what? I'm just doing all, I'm just going to read this walkthrough because I'm just like, don't feel like 
well equipped. Like, I feel like I'm going to die, yeah. and this is going to turn into like a, a frustrating, really frustrating experience. Where, um, and in doing that, some of the sections there were things like that, like jump, like surprises, or like things that I wouldn't have had I gone blind. I would have really been taken off, like taken aback by, and been like, "Oh, I didn't expect that. I just got hit or whatever." But the walkthrough like warned me. So, um, yeah, I will say Bioshock is. <laughs> I know you you highly recommended it to me, and then I bought like the complete edition. In my first comment to you about it. I said, this game is too noisy. It and is you're like, what do you noisy. mean? I was like, there's too much screaming and yelling going on. It's freaking me out. I was playing with headphones and it was like yeah, too, much. too much. Yeah. And what's weird about it, and it's because it's an older game, um, the sound is not at all realistic. Uh, you'll like hear it like as if they were right next to you, something screaming. Yeah. And in reality, that thing is like two hallways away from That you. is very true. Yeah. And I, would I wonder if like, that's intentional. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is just an age thing. I Yeah. Perhaps it was intentional. I didn't think of that. I just assumed like they didn't have like good audio detection, like to make it sound as if they were far away and like when exactly the audio should occur. I don't know. But it was really, really, um, almost disturbing basically i'd be like i would be yeah. just looking around everywhere like where, where's this thing that's about to i know it's me? so ah, it's so <laughs> scary yeah i i remember yeah when i played it when i finally got myself to play it i had a whole system i was like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna conquer this game it seems interesting and also i just want to at this point it's just a life goal and i had a walkthrough next to me and then once i would read the part of the walkthrough for what i was about to do i would put in a podcast in one ear be like very calming just gonna <laughs> listen to my sports radio show and i'm gonna walk down this hallway with screaming people everywhere <laughs> And then I would like finish that section and then decide, am I doing another section or am I done for now? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was very creepy. And then the second game was a big disappointment. And the third game wasn't really creepy at all. Interesting. Yeah. I still experience. need to get through to that. Like get through that. It's like in my backlog. I tried to pick it up a while back and I started and I'm pretty sure I hit a bug because I did the, I like picked up a walkthrough because I got really confused. I was like, why isn't this, I was like, clearly this section is leading me to this door, which I think should open, because I've done the things that should open this door. And I picked up a walkthrough and backtracked my steps, and like, yep, I did that, yes, I did that, and the door's not open. And I'm like, I don't don't know, know what to do. Like, and I kept like looking around, like maybe I'm missing a thing. And then there were, comments and and there were comments that were saying like yeah that bugs out sometimes but it was like they were like really old posts because this is an old game so i was like is that like a bug from like the past on the old generation of console like that shouldn't be here on my ps4 like remastered edition of the game i don't know huh interesting (laughs) so it really puts you in a weird spot where i'm like i don't know is there like a different load like safe i need to look like is there a save file i can load like just before all this stuff happened i'm not sure oh yeah that's very disappointing Man, I would really kind of like to play Bioshock on the PC. Maybe someday I will do that. We'll see. I've noticed... I bet it's on sale right now on Steam. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. But I know on the PS4, it's like constantly on sale. uh, The completed... You can get all three games for $10 or something like that. Oh, man. Supposedly that studio is working on another game, though. It's not. I think it's not branded under Bioshock. I forget. I remember reading about this. We'll see. Yeah, they're they're two for three, so I'm interested in what they come out with. Yeah, yeah. 
Me too. I, the next generation of consoles right around the corner. Gonna, I know. I, yeah. I don't. So I am curious. What is? Are you going to? Are you going to upgrade to the PS4 now that it's like at the end of its life? Or I thought you, about it. Are you going to go for the next so. gen? Or are you just going to opt out completely and just stay like PC gamer? I don't know. Yeah, I'm so torn because it's like I need to figure out it, what I would use another console for, and I think the answer is probably nothing. Because I have the Switch, and the Switch is my, like, multiplayer thing for when people come to hang out. It's like, what would I use a PS5 for versus my PC? Like, mm-hmm. my PC offers some advantages. Now, obviously, there's certain PS5 exclusives, but I'm not sure there's that many that I care about. It's mainly The Last of Us, and even that I might not care that much about. So, yeah, right now it's looking like no, actually. Interesting. Yeah, that would be the that would be the only thing I could see is, like, on the PS4, there are exclusives mm-hmm. that in my opinion, are pretty compelling. But often this is the case is that much of that stuff isn't going to be around, at least for the first few years. So it's like, I have a PS4 now, and I don't really feel... I have not seen anything that makes me compelled to go get the PS5 as soon as it comes out. Um, yeah. So there's not going to be really any games that I'm not interested in, and it's probably going to take a while for the platform to mature and really come out with exclusives that I'm interested in. So, yeah. I just keep realizing that I just don't get to games. Like, So I realized I own Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which actually was reviewed fairly well, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I've bought the game and downloaded it on my PC, and I've just never gotten around to it. And it's like, do I need more? Yeah, it, it's like one thing with sports games. I do really enjoy modern sports games and stuff. Like, I might spend money on NBA 2K20 or something, but there's just no need for more game games for me unless they serve an important cultural purpose where it's like... I need to understand the collective consciousness about, like, Dark Souls. You know, that's, like, a little Mm -hmm. bit iconic in video game lore. I'd be kind of interested. So that's something I might consider. But just, like, Random Game X doesn't really matter to me. That's fair. Yeah. I think I just treat it as, or it definitely is one of my primary hobbies. So there are certainly games that I um, have bought and not gotten around to, but I keep a list of, like, what's in my backlog and like before i buy another game i like look through it and i'm like does this feel like i'm ready to play this game right now and sometimes the answer is yes other times it's like no let me go see if there's anything else um but yeah you know i do that too but i realize i just never really care very much about the stuff in my backlog i don't know like i'm never gonna get to most of them so should i just give up yeah well some i think there is a i think there is that has crossed my mind, too, because there are a couple of things that have been on my backlog for, for a really long time where I'm sort of like, do I just change this from, like, on hold pending to, like, never going to get to this? Like, you can stay in the log yeah. so that it's it's documented as being here, but I just admit to myself, I'm not going to play this. So so that when mm-hmm. I filter the list, it doesn't even show up. And uh, I don't know. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I feel like it's so unusual for me to finish a video game and be like, that was a good use of my time. I hardly ever feel that way. But there are a handful, and those games... So I'd say, like, Bioshock 1 is probably in there. Maybe The Witcher. Um, and then definitely, the one that really comes to mind that I recommend to everybody and everybody's skeptical of is the Portal. Oh, no, all the, the time. Yeah. yeah, all the time, like, non-gamers I talk to, I mention... You don't understand, like, there's one computer game that you really should play. Like, you don't understand why, but you just, you really should play it. And they're like, no, that sounds lame. I don't want to do that. And it's like, no, no, like, Portal is, I I do think, upon more and more reflection, it's probably the best game I've ever played. And there's, obviously, there's two of them, and they're both up there. 
Um, it's just incredible how good it is on every level, and it's not mm-hmm. like terribly stressful. Oh, it's just everything about it is is just so good. Yeah, yeah. No, they're both very strong games. Definitely ones that have over time gained notoriety, and I think are pretty. I think they're 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 up there now as like some of the best games ever made. Like the the gaming community yeah. would would collectively agree these are two of the best games ever made. Um, and it's one of those rare situations just where so the much sequel less... is actually better than the first one. Like most people yeah. think number two is better than the first. <laughs> yep, I don't know where I land on that, but I yeah probably. But it's also it's so rare that the gaming community appreciates a game that is not intimidating to non gamers. Yep. That's and Portal true. is like that, which is really remar- remarkable. Yeah. It's just a, a good example of really being creative in gameplay design and uh Yeah. Really yeah, just like oh, man. getting rid of like all of the just totally going with a blank slate and saying, There are no gaming tropes here. Like we are not creating anything that's been seen before. This is a totally unique experience. Yeah. Uh it is and perhaps amazing, yeah. I'm not sure if that's a completely true statement. I'm not. There may be other past games that were like the spiritual ancestors of Portal, but I'm not aware of them. Like I feel like Portal stands yeah, alone. Yeah, me neither. So certainly the humor, the plot, and the humor is truly unique. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of topics. We've run out a lot of time. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? Uh, let me see. I guess we could talk about this because I'm just curious. I didn't even realize. I can't believe we're at an hour and 52 minutes. I know we've been um, flying. Well, the first half hour we weren't recording, to be fair. That's true. That's true. Um, tell me about this Google adding voice video calls just so that I like. I'm oh, yeah. <laughs> Google fooled us today. So during the pandemic, Google made some changes in their product lineup. And I'm not going to get these right, but they it was something like they. Uh, changed the branding around the google chat that's always in gmail that little chat thing in the bottom left which was Mm -hmm. never called chat it was called like hangouts or something yeah maybe it wasn't hangouts was that hangouts i know hangouts was a thing i don't know i don't understand their product suite at all no and i think that's kind of a joke the verge takes shots at them all the time for crazy labeling of and naming of things that don't make any sense but then they made a product called google meet and Meet is now like their all-in-one video call solution. And then whenever you make new events on Google Calendar, they silently add a Google Meet option. Or maybe it's when you make events on Google Calendar and invite people. They automatically add meetings. Yeah. And I was aware of this having read a little bit about all the changes Google was doing. And so what happened today when we started the podcast, just for the list- listeners, is... I was on the Google Meet meeting because I assumed that's what you had set up and I was just hanging out and uh, you were like, okay, let me know when you're ready. And I was like, I'm here. And you were like, I'm on Skype. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm on Google. Uh, And it turns out it's Google's nefarious meetings being added that caused our confusion. Yeah. But look, they got us. We did eventually end up on uh, Google Meet, on the Google chat or whatever it's called. Yeah, so I had no idea that this even was added to the invite because I did the invite from Fantastical, and ah, it was Ooh, I want to update on your calendar situation. Yeah, I can give you a brief. Sorry, one. keep going. I'm, I'm using Fantastical. Is sort of the update. I nice. The uh, I love the app and I love the interface. I'm still. Um, struggling between like my work calendar lives in outlook 
I get I can see it in Fantastical, but I never like interface with Fantastical Cal to make the meetings most times. And then for my personal mm-hmm. calendar, it's been like there's just not a ton of going on in terms of events, so I don't often have like our phone calls and like a few other things are like what gets added to the calendar. And I'm appreciative of Fantastical that it's there for me when I need it to do these things. Um, but I definitely don't feel like I'm utilizing it as much as I thought I might, perhaps given the yeah. circumstances. So that, anyways, so I made, and it was like late at night and I was like, yeah, late at night I was like, okay, like, let me get this on the calendar because I'm that person now and I have Fantastical, so I'm going to put it on my calendar and I added, like I made the Fantastical invite and it was so great too. Cause I was like pod with podcast with Ethan and it like, and understood that I wanted it to be you and it like brought up your contact on Gmail and I was like, yeah, that's who it is. Send the invite to them. And it like just dynamically did this. It was excellent. Fantastical, uh, made it really easy and I shot it off and I didn't look again cause I was like, it's on the calendar. I know. And so then when you were like, yeah. I'm in Google meet, I'm like, what are you talking about? I looked at my Fantastical and I see <laughs> that the event has secretly added a link to itself that I, when I look in, it is a link yeah. to Google meet. So I click on this, and then you appear in the window, and I'm like, "What's going on? <laughs> this was not <laughs> this was not my intention." I was sitting there trying to call you on Skype. I'm letting Skype just ring for minutes, expecting you to pick up at some point. Because um, our past calls were with were with uh, Skype. Yeah, this you hasn't been correct. a terrible experience. I this is definitely better than Hangouts. Whatever they've done that's different here. Like when we try to use so? Hangouts, when we try to use Hangouts in the past, it was just a lot more glitchy. Just like was more sensitive to bandwidth issues. This seems to, like, it'll pixelate your image sometimes, but I don't often lose your audio. It's only happened, like... See, I've actually lost you quite a bit. So we'll see how the final track turns out. But that has not at all been my experience on the side. That is interesting. I think there's something wrong with my internet. Or, because this has been happening with, with work calls, too, it's like, I am really, just this past week, struggling. Like, constantly having connection issues, um getting pixelated audio and video it's been really frustrating so i guess that's what's happening to you on my end is like i'm my internet's just really struggling i don't know yeah maybe your uploads are bad yeah i don't know we'll see how well the tracks match up in the end i certainly hope they're okay but there's definitely been parts where your audio and video has been out of sync by like over a second and then probably like most of the time you've been frozen I would say a majority of the time you have been frozen. Wow. So I really, yeah, you've totally been fine this whole time and your audio is only chopped up a couple times. Oh, that's so interesting. I wonder if the experience would Maybe have been Skype better on time. Skype. Yeah. I really Love think it's try. my internet. I really do. But that was the first thing I did here before I moved. I arranged, I called a couple places, figured out where I could get gigabit internet, made sure I could move my Eero, did, did all the internet homework. And then I realized I also needed electricity, which shows where my priorities <laughs> lie. I was like, oh no, electricity also. You forgot about the dependency to the internet. Yeah, I know. It was <laughs> the electricity. No, the, uh, I don't understand what's going on. Cause like up until this week, I've had absolutely no problems. Like maybe that's a bit dramatic i've had a couple but definitely not as persistent as this has been so really sad frustrating yeah okay well, i'm pleased well, to hear that... about your calendar exploits but it sounds like you have discovered that you may just not need a calendar which is a fine thing to discover i feel very differently but it is good to know if you know if your life doesn't lend itself to a calendar then that's good yeah i guess i mean i could be putting things in the calendar but i just don't i guess like I yeah have if they block... serve no function yeah yeah it's nice to have it available 
when I want to do things like this, like make a make a uh, a meeting with you or with other people. So I think for that purpose, it's it's serving it's serving me well, and I expect to try to keep it around. But uh, I don't know. Maybe post COVID, we will see. Will my calendar activity pick up? Will I really realize the true value of this? I don't know. 